Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay on another hot and sunny day in Kent. It's Tuesday, June the 13th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. And homes in part of Kent have been left without water on one of the hottest days of the year so far. Properties to the south of Maidstone, including Staplehurst, East Sutton and Coxheath, have been affected. Will southeast water have blamed high demand? Firstly, I've been chatting to Joanna Hamer, who lives in Coxheath and was left without any supplies of water yesterday. We've obviously had like this unbelievable heat where you just don't want to do anything. Um, you know, you, you're finding that you're drinking more and more water just to try and keep hydrated. And then lo and behold, we get the the messages and the, the confirmations that there's going to be an interruption to your area potentially, that you might experience low pressure um, or you might have water that isn't there anymore. Um, you know, and so we, we found that, Yesterday and today, which are like two of the most hottest days that we've had this year so far, we were just without water. So, you know, it was a case of there was, although we had the messages coming through, it's like what everybody does. Everybody goes into panic mode. Everybody goes to Tesco's and wipes everybody out of water and that. And, you know, and then you're you're at the point where you think, and I know that I need to drink. I'm feeling very hot. I need to, you know, just function within your house as well. And, you know, you see the messages where the estimated, like, completion time is going to be like half past one in the morning. Then it comes down to half past nine of an evening. And you're, you're still sitting there thinking, I can't flush the loo. I, I I can't go to and get a drink. You know, it, it's just been quite quite unbearable. And is this something that's happened in Coxheath before? Yeah, we had. Um, so when we had the the hot weather last year, I think it was, we had um, a spell where we was without water for oh, days, days upon days. Um, you know, so although we've experienced it before, it, it's still a frustration, especially in this heat as well. Yeah, exactly. And the fact it has happened before, as you say, must be incredibly frustrating. Are you concerned for the rest of the summer, particularly if we have more weather like we've had over the past couple of days? Um, yeah, I think so, because I think, you know, we, we've got we've got people living in the close that are vulnerable. Um, I know there is the priority service register on South East Water, but, you know, it's only for the real vulnerable, can't get out of the house, you know, those kind of people. But if it's not for the neighbours being able to all pull together and help out, people like that miss out on, on water. I, I know that they do set up the bottled water stations, but last year... That didn't happen for a long time, you know, so we went all that period of time without water. Thankfully, they do do it a little bit quicker now. But, you know, when you just think, what what is our summer going to be like? Is it going to get to a point where we're going to have this heat for a long period of time? And does that mean that the ground's going to dry and the pipes are going to crack again? And we're going to have the same situation. It, it is worrying. I know there were quite a few problems last year across different parts of the county. Oh, and an awful lot of people were saying we're just so worried about extra houses being built nearby. Is, yeah. is Coxheath an area where building is happening and there's going to be that extra demand? Yeah, we, we've got. Um, so where we are, you've got like a crossroads and over the crossroads, they're building new houses. You know, yeah, there has been quite a lot of developments where new houses have been built. Yeah, I think there is that that worry that you know if you're going to build all these houses 
have we got the facilities that are going to be able to accommodate it? And we've had this response from South East Water. I'm Douglas Whitfield, Operations Director for South East Water. So we've had a really challenging 72 hours from the water supply point of view, particularly for some customers around the Tenston, Bidderton and the Coxies areas. I'm really sorry to them for any interruptions they've seen over this period. What we've seen with the continued hot weather is some really high demands, which we expect for this time of year. But in localised areas, we've seen really record demands. And the long hot weather has led to a few, few power flicks, which tripped out some of our treatment works, which meant we weren't pumping water into the system um, while we restarted those treatment works. So a combination of those things have led to these interruptions that we've seen. And we are doing all we can not to just get the supplies back on, but make sure they're resilient going into the summer. Um, there's another issue that we've had over the last few weeks. We had to reactively do some maintenance on one of the storage tanks in the area, which means we've got less storage available of stored water, which obviously when you get into a peak period causes more problems as well. That work is nearly completion now. So over the next week, um, that tank should come back into supply. And um, we've done lots of work over the winter in the areas that were impacted last summer um, around improving the amount of water available from some of our treatment works, trying to make sure our storage is in a good position for the summer. And we're also laying some local mains in the area to try and improve the connectivity to allow us to move water around the network if we get problems in one area or another. So those things are, are either finished or nearing completion. So I am comfortable that in the summer we'll have more resilient supplies. I can't guarantee there won't be issues because when we do see these extraordinary hot spells of weather, uh, it's the high demand combined then with any outage or burst mains in the area that can cause interruption. So that's what we try to react to as quickly as we can. And we try to put in place things that means that if they do happen, it doesn't impact our customer supply. Housing growth is factored into our long-term plan. So when we look at what we need to invest and what we need to build in the area, it takes into account the planned housing growth um, that we get from official figures. So that long-term growth is taken into account. What we've seen over the last couple of years is these weather extremes and changes in demand, which have happened very quickly. So, for example, across the Kent and Sussex patch during the COVID lockdown, we have a lot more people working from home now. So our demand patterns changed. That created some pinch point areas that we weren't aware of before and brought forward some problems from a few years time into what we're seeing now. So while that long term growth is there, it's that short term change in demand and the extreme weather that we've seen over the last few years that really caused these problems. So we're now reviewing our plans, seeing what we can bring forward um, and seeing what we can do as quickly as possible to improve the supplies in the area. We are allowed to invest a certain amount of money on a five-year period set by the regulators. We've, we've invested more than that money in, in this period of time. Um, we're just putting together our plans for investment for the next five-year period, which runs from 2025 to 2030. In that plan is an increased volume of spend, particularly around resilience, around improving storage and connectivity in the area, as I say. So we've spent um, more than money we have funded, um, and that's what we're going to continue to do to try and make sure we improve things where we can. Really, our please, customers, is, is think of water as an essential resource that it is. Do use it for drinking and hygiene and cooking. That's not really um, what we're trying to stop people doing at all. What we're saying is don't use it for anything that's not essential in the house. Please don't water your garden. Don't fill the paddling pool for the next few days. Those things can wait until this hot weather's passed. When we see demand drop down to normal levels, you know, supplies will become more resilient. So it's used water wisely, but do use it for what you need to. But please don't put the hose or the sprinkler on the garden for the next week. It's expected to stay dry for the rest of the week with temperatures remaining warm. Kent Online News. This is one of our most read stories today. And a court's heard how a man ran off and left his children in their pushchair after being caught shoplifting in Aylesford. Connor Sharp stole about £100 worth 
month of food and clothing from Sainsbury's last September, but says he panicked when he saw police in the car park. The 24-year-old from John Street in Rochester has been given a conditional discharge after telling magistrates he was desperate to feed his family. Police are continuing to question a man on suspicion of murder following the death of a man near a holiday park on Sheppey. A 35-year-old was found dead at a property on 4th Avenue in East Church on Sunday morning. The suspect, who's in his 50s, remains in custody. A sitting-born trader has vowed to continue selling replica guns in his store, despite calls for them to be banned following a rise in antisocial behaviour in the town. Airsoft guns, which fire plastic bullets, are still being sold at the trade counter in the High Street. We've recently reported on how cats have been targeted in the town, but the manager insists they'll stay on sale and aren't given to anyone under the age of 18. Meantime, a trader has been given permission to sell alcohol from a kiosk on the beachfront at Broadstairs, despite concerns it could lead to antisocial behaviour. Daniel Montilla has been told he can also keep the hut in Stone Bay open for longer. The 43-year-old says the venue will be a family hub. Now, there's been a big rise in the number of businesses in Kent that have gone bust since before the pandemic. Figures seen by the Kent Online podcast show more than a 1,000 went into liquidation in the four years since 2019. Lucy's got the details. Well, analysis of the data shows 194 companies in Kent went bust in 2019. That had risen to 287 last year. And it was a similar picture in Medway with 29 firms going under before COVID and 69 in 2022. It's being blamed on some government support being withdrawn and rising energy prices. Liquidation is the process of ending a business and distributing its assets to those it owes money to. Across the country, retail and the construction industry were the hardest hit. And for more analysis on those figures, let's hear now from Tudor Price from the Kent Invicta Chamber of Commerce, who's been chatting to Lucy. It doesn't surprise me. I think it was a little higher than perhaps was expected, uh, but it was anticipated. And of course, it, it reflects a rise nationally uh, from the ONS statistics as a whole. So I, I don't think there's a surprise there. It is unfortunately recognition of some of the tough times and some of the external influences that a lot of Kent businesses have been suffering. From your experience talking to businesses, is it sort of smaller businesses struggling or more sort of medium, big businesses? I think the majority of businesses here in Kent are are small. I mean, we the, the 95% of businesses employ less than 10 in staff. So they are by, by definition small. So that would distort the figures. But I think what really comes to bear is is there's two two key uh, affecting sort of issues here, really. One is um, the, the energy supply costs. I mean, that has had a massive effect. And obviously, the larger the organization and the more industrial the, the nature of their work, you know, the larger the energy cost is going to be. And that, of course, for some that are working in a very competitive environment, means that their margins will have been eroded. And of course, they then sort of run out of room to, to do anything. The smaller businesses, um, a lot will tend to be more based around the trading uh, trading environment. So where we've seen changes in sort of retail, hospitality, leisure, availability of staff, these sort of things, they've struggled with footfall and general consumer spend. So there's a couple of different sort of factors that will play a part here depending on on the size of the business but um, these changes have all been fairly well documented in the news we've seen obviously the effects of global uh, global sort of pandemic we've seen the effects of energy crisis and of course we've seen 
cost of living crisis, which in turn has affected consumer spend. So, as I say, disappointing, but not unexpected. What's it like for a company owner to have to make this decision? Because I imagine you, you know, you put in years of work to to build your business mm. um, and then having to, to then go insolvent. I mean, mm. what's that like? It's traumatic. And I think the, the worst thing to be is to be on your own uh, as a business owner. And certainly from a chamber's perspective, you know, we, we always advocate sort of working with advisors or, or working with, with other people in a network or a peer group because it's a tough time. But if you can go through these sort of learning experiences which is ultimately what they are then then you can come back so much more resilient and so much more sort of successful um but it is a, a personally traumatic uh, experience to go through obviously businesses as you say have have sort of set abouts you know, trying to achieve a vision um and despite all their best efforts you know they, they've been unable to, to make it work but failure is a part of business and i think sometimes that lesson is is lost or not appreciated by many people and of course it's difficult when you're going through it but you know there are people around there who can support and who can sort of help you know get you back on your feet so i think you know it's it's a difficult time um i think we also need to just recognize that there has been a lot of businesses that have um Certainly, again, working on the small businesses, a lot of people were advised by their tax advisors that it was a good idea to set yourself up as a limited company uh, because actually you could then pay yourself a dividend instead of a sort of a wage and it was sort of more tax efficient. When we had lockdown, that didn't work uh, for many people. The the sort of handouts that were coming from government were not uh, to the advantage of those that had set themselves up in that way. So I think there may be a bit of a contribution, a distortion of the figures from people deciding actually being self-employed is better than being uh, a limited company. So there are some sort of hidden details to sort of analyse and take away from this. It's not all about uh, sort of you know, the, the economy and the cost of living. But yeah, it's a, it's a tough time for many businesses. But I think, you know, the, the thing to take away is that you know, biz, businesses learn from failure. You know, they improve, they come back bigger, better, stronger. So, um, you know, whilst it doesn't take away the, the emotional aspect to it, um, you know, Things can can get a thing. Things can and do get better. Kent Online reports. Follow Kent Online on socials today to see a picture of a Kent beach littered with laughing gas canisters after a weekend of hot and sunny weather. The nitrous oxide capsules were found strewn across Margate Beach. Police also seized 15 of them from one group of beachgoers and warned them about the drug's potential dangers. The government's been accused of abusing, bullying, and intimidating the House of Lords over plans to stop small boats crossing the channel. To Kent. Peers debated the new asylum bill for 12 hours yesterday, finishing at two this morning. There are concerns the policy could break international law. Now, there's been another rise in unemployment in Kent, according to figures out today. Just over 39,000 people were claiming out of work benefits in April. There's an increase of 630 compared to the previous month. Meantime, national data shows basic earnings have gone up by an average of 7.2% in the last year. A suspected drug dealer has been caught by police patrolling in Medway. Officers searched a car in the Dockside Outlet Centre in Chatham and found mobile phones, cash and 12 bags of what they believe to be cocaine. A 28-year-old man from Chatham has been arrested and charged with drug offences and also for driving while disqualified. Now, next today, a Hernbay dad has been telling us how a can of Coke could save someone's life as we mark Diabetes Awareness Week. Carl Royer was diagnosed with type 1 when he was just 8 years old and has an insulin pump to help manage his blood sugar levels. He faces a risk of becoming unconscious within 10 minutes if his levels drop too low and he's been chatting to reporter Keely Greenwood. If your blood sugar goes really high, it damages your body. So you tend to try to keep it 
at your normal level. So people try to keep it within a range. And therefore, there's a chance your blood sugar can drop. And when that happens very quickly, you feel drunk. And you don't act, you get a bit argumentative and, and <laughs> you need to from sugar. So there's the other condition when your blood sugar is high, or it's high for a long while, you go get you get ketonosis and it, and it can it's fatal in the end, but it, it's a much slower process. And the person generally knows that's happening before. So and their blood sugar is really high. So I always say to someone, if you find a diabetic that's unwell, give them something sweet. And within 10, 15 minutes, if they haven't recovered, then you ring for an ambulance or ring for an ambulance straight away, but give them something sweet. Because if the blood sugar is high, really high, and you've given them a bit more sugar, well, so what? You know, they need insulin anyway. So you're more likely to save them by giving them something sweet. You can't test their blood sugar. What sort of things should you give them? Something that's fast. So Coke, uh, Mars bar, things that are just sugar, sugar or glucose. Glucose is the fastest. Do you know when you're, if you're starting to feel drunk, do you think, oh, I've got to do something now? Well, or you, can you not sort of do it then? When... <clears throat> it depends how quickly it falls, because at some point you're not compass mentis. And you, right. can get quite, you can get quite argumentative and stroppy, and I'm stroppy as it is. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it makes it makes it quite tricky. I mean, I, I, I'm really careful, and I haven't been unconscious for a number of years, but you know, in my youth, when I was a teenager, because your hormones are much more active, it was much harder. And I would be in hospital every few months. Uh, but interestingly, th see, things, we look at technology as improving, but the market for diabetes is all focused towards mass market. So the blood testers don't work at low temperatures anymore. Most type 2 diabetics, which are my, the main cause you know, people got overweight and they got older in America. It doesn't matter how big their blood tester is. They don't leave the sofa. It doesn't need to work in the damp or cold because they're sitting at home. When I was younger, I still try to use an old blood tester, which I'm I'm actually an electronic engineer. I mean, my office is full of electronic kit here. I'm maintaining an old blood tester because it's tiny and it works at minus 10 degrees. And this is where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it more aware because if you're young, you don't want to carry great lumpy things around. You want it to be convenient. There is definitely a push in the market for the American type patient. The, the displays have got bigger, you know, for people with bad eyesight. The blood <laughs> test has got bigger. It's just mad, yeah. Kent Online reports. Plans have been submitted to convert a pub in Westmoreland into two family homes. The landlady of the Scared Crow says the business is no longer viable after being badly affected by COVID and parking restrictions put in by the council. It's been on the market for over a year, but no one wants to buy it. A decision on the plans is due next month. You can follow our socials today to see pictures of a former hospital in Dover that's being turned into houses. Some of the 81 properties at the Buckland Vale estate have already been built and others are still under construction. The development was approved by the council two years ago and sits next to the new replacement hospital. Elsewhere, a wildflower meadow near Greenhithe has been compared to a building site and labelled an eyesore. Flowers have been planted in Worcester Park to increase wildlife habitats, store carbon and boost biodiversity, but residents say the work has not been carried out properly and it's now more like a desert. You can see pictures today.
today by heading to the website. And a Medway man who was paralysed after having a wisdom tooth removed is planning on doing 50 marathons in just 50 days. Rob Stenhouse contracted a bug which got into his bloodstream and caused an abscess on his spine in 2011. He's set to complete the challenge on an arm bike at Strood Sports Centre to raise money for charity. And the final story on the podcast today is, quite frankly, remarkable. The family of a Dartford teenager who once suffered up to six epileptic seizures every 10 seconds have described how his life was completely changed after undergoing a new treatment. Danny Dyer had the procedure which involved electrical stimulation to different parts of his brain. Well, Danny's dad, John, has been telling me how it came about while Danny was having another operation. So, Valentin offered us or asked us really if we would agree to allow him to stimulate Danny's brain whilst his his head was open as it was so to speak uh, in an attempt to try and see if there was anything that would change from this procedure I've never I'd never heard anything about stimulation um, certainly not in epilepsy and again looking back I I'm amazed we agreed to it, but at the time it just felt like we 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 had to we had to, and there was something about Dr. Valentin. It you could say it was something holy or something, just something grace graceful about him. I believe I really believe that he he was going to do everything he could, and if he didn't, he wasn't going to harm Danny. Um, and it was meant to be for three four days that they was going to do this, and because of the results they were finding, again we wasn't aware of. The results they were finding, he was, he he asked if we could continue with the procedure, and it went on for ten days, and um, it was difficult, especially for Doctor Valentin, because um, Danny was getting irritated by, you know, the wires coming out of his head and and uh, the fact that he was restrained to to the bed and the machinery, but I can tell you that that ten day and night period we was there in the hospital with Danny and Doctor Valentin who promised us at that at that time, I remember his words, he had a, he had a son the same age, he said, I'm not going to leave Danny, I'm going to be with him through this process. And for 10 days, he didn't. He didn't. He was there day and night. So it, it just, it, it didn't worry us. We just believed that everything was 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 going in the right, you know, he was doing all he could. He could. And then one day, he just come and explained to us that there's been quite an amazing result from from what he's doing and his findings are that, that Danny is being able to be seizure-free for periods of time when he stimulated the area that he did. So um, we didn't really know, that, and he was very good in not raising our expectations with this, that this was going to be such a, an effective treatment for Danny long-term. So they closed his head up, and, and after the procedure, Dr. Valentin was quite clear to say, look, he's seizure-free at this point. But I'm expecting the seizures to go on uh, for another uh, to, to come back within ten days. He was age seven at this point, um, and they didn't come back. They didn't come back for seven years. Seven years, and they came. And after that seven years, they came back in a completely different form. And with, with one attempt at medication, he they're under control. So that period of time, that seven years, if that and of works for Danny at that age, at that stage of his life, 
he would not have been able to develop into the young boy and capable boy and, and young man now that he is. Thanks so much to John for sharing Danny's story. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. Plus, you can get details on the top stories direct to your email each morning via the briefing. To sign up to that, you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk. And whilst you're on the website today, you can find out what happened when our reporter, Rhys Griffiths, visited a community fridge in Folkestone. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.